flashing, bombs are bursting in air, and it is time wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially... If you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run, we're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free thanks to our sponsor this week, Squarespace. Squarespace! They're bringing the show to you. Making it possible, DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who celebrates the 4th of July the traditional way by leaving the kingdom of Britain. (laughs) Hey, Christian Spicer. How you doing, buddy? I think that in all our years of doing shows, that is by far the worst (laughs) intro you've ever given anyone. You did, though. You you left uh, London, and now you're back, Uh, just like we did. We left left Britain, and uh, I'm making an analogy. Hey, it's uh, baby. B-A-B-Y. B-A-B-Y. Did you see that? Did you like it? We texted about it. Do you remember our real friendship that apparently you don't pay attention to? I don't. I haven't had much sleep lately. Oh, oh man. man. You're, you're crying up the wrong river, buddy. I'm on a... It doesn't matter. Hi, we have a great show. We Jeff's do. a jerk. I'm going to be snippy Whoa. all show. Let's, let's oh, have some goodness. fun. <laughs> uh, happy 4th of July to our American listeners. We got we got uh, a fun week coming up of holidays for, you know, game time. But we also shouldn't ignore the fact that our friends to the north, the Canadians, have also had a holiday, and that is July 1st, Canada Day, which brings me to our guest. You know him, you love him, we do too. DLC, of course, always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian, but we are excited that DLC once again stands for Diversions and Labors Combined, because from GamersWithJobs.com and the Gamers With Jobs conference call podcast, our friend Sean Andrich is back with us. Hey, Sean. Hey, Jeff. That was an exceptional intro. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I've always liked you. I've always liked you more than Christian. <laughs> happy, happy 4th of July. To, do you hear uh, this? This is a peanut butter pretzel friends. going into my mouth. No, don't do it. <laughs> don't. Oh, no. Christian is um, especially surly today, yeah, listeners, so, so yeah, we so, apologize yeah, in advance. It was Canada Day on July 1st. It's our 150th birthday. Oh, sequicentennial. Uh, is yeah i i guess so i i've never heard that before but that i'm you just pulled that right out that was really impressive <laughs> it's the, it's the sequicentennial the 150th uh but congratulations canada i i wish i was there instead of uh, yeah yeah so is tomorrow just going to be like tomorrow's july 4th is that yeah. like just like a moment of silence this year or what are you guys doing <laughs> it should be it, sh- it, yeah. it should be a moment of twitter silence if nothing else but oh that would, would be so nice <laughs> oh, that would be so good could we do that could twitter just could twitter shut down for a day i think that would really help everybody uh, or a, or a forever maybe <laughs> <laughs> maybe all right well let's talk about video games um it is it is dry july as people have called it um not a lot of new stuff coming out not a lot of uh news is certainly a a, a slow week for news, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. 
Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of video games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com, or by uh, tweeting on the aforementioned Twitter. We use a hashtag there, DLCSOTW, for Story of the Week, if you want to do that. Or you can send us an email, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, Christian, you distracted me with all your peanut butter eating, but I wanted to tell people also right at the top of the show that my other daily podcast, which is called Newest, Latest, Best, is now subscribable as a podcast in iTunes. It had been uh, on the Anchor app, and a lot of people were like, I don't know how to use that. I want to use it the way I get DLC and other podcasts. Now you can. Daily, you can hear me update you seven days a week, every single day, update you on the stories that are happening and the games that I'm playing and all the video game news. So subscribe. Check it out. It's called Newest, Latest, Best, and you can find it on iTunes or Google Play Music or wherever you find your podcasts. But we're doing Story of the Week, and Sean, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your Story of the Week? Well, it's definitely slower uh, this time of year, like you mentioned, but uh, I really think this uh, Steam refund request story is pretty interesting. So Steam, uh, obviously we've had the big Steam sales, so there's lots of uh, insane uh, consumerism, let's call it. Uh, a lot of a lot of people buying really great deals for games they'll probably never get around to. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. not maybe not too surprising. Uh, on Shack News, uh, they say that Steam refund requests hit more than 300,000 a day after summer sale launch. That uh, so is they're saying crazy. It, it's 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 a high number, uh, definitely. Um, so uh, you know they the support page uh, in early May when the official support page showed it was processing more than 49,000 return requests a day uh, and obviously with the Steam sale that suddenly ballooned like crazy um, so yeah 300,000 returns that's pretty nuts however relative to how many games are probably moving through that marketplace it's probably percentage wise pretty close to on point would be my guess um, but one interesting part here Rust developer Gary Newman uh, mentioned on Twitter that he's had 329,970 refunds that have been issued for the game in its totality, uh, which Shack News points out is about $4.4 million, depending on if they bought it on sale or not and things like that. But um, so like Rust is a great example. It's a lot of scratch to get back. It's a lot of scratch, but Rust is a great example. 329,000 returns. Uh, As far as I know, according to Steam Spy, Rust has cleared over 5 million in sales. Right. So that is like that as a percentage, that's a relatively low percentage of the overall game sales. And and the question, the argument with Steam refunds has always been, are these refunds going to do they mean also higher sales because people are more willing to take a risk? Right. Because it used to be you buy a PC game and you're married to it, whether you like it or not, or not, whether you can launch it or not. Uh, I remember when I bought Rage from id Software when it first launched, it was a rough launch with rage. It it ran so poorly on my, at the time, AMD card, I think that I actually, that was the first game. I I actually, this is before refunds existed. That's the only game I'd ever tried to do a refund on. And I couldn't like, because I emailed support. I'm like, look, this game literally doesn't run. It is a documented problem with the game. You can see what my hardware is because I take the survey. You pull the system, the data right out of my computer. You can see these two things match up. And they were just like, no, we you buy it, you own it, you break it, you bought it. Or you yeah. bought it, it's broken, it's yours now. I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> you, what didn't, you didn't break it, but you bought it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so that was my problem. So the re, I think the return rate has made people a lot more bullish about buying games in the first place. Yeah, I think you make a great point there. And I think that that is 
the the headline is huge numbers of people get refunds, but I think the subtext is that means the system is working as intended, and that's a great thing for consumers. The idea that that Steam uh, or you know that the policy Valve's policy with Steam is you get a refund, no questions asked, as long as you haven't played the game more than two hours and it hasn't been more than fourteen days. So. That means carte blanche. No questions asked. We're, you know, it gives people that freedom to actually test something out and make sure it works with their system and not feel cheated. And I think the fact that people are actually doing that and utilizing that is a positive, is a real positive. And like you said, it probably results in more people buying things because they don't feel like they're going to be burned. And, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it definitely helps too if you've done a lot of drunk buying one night during the Steam sale <laughs> yeah. and then woke up the next morning and looked at all of the uh, the games in your recent queue all of a sudden. <laughs> right. You know? It's the it's the drunk dial of uh, of gamers. Yeah. Like, why did I buy the entire Paradox Games collection? I've never played any of these games and I bounce off them every time I try, but it was such a great deal I had to pull the trigger. Like, like <laughs> this, it's a good thing that you can actually walk that back. And I think the two hour limit's pretty reasonable. There, It's... I've always been a little wary because there are some really nice indie games that maybe don't last two hours necessarily. And that can be a little bit sketchy. Like if you finish the game, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to have it to see it. So that say if an indie game came out and it's maybe it's two, two hours or less, maybe it's a $5 game. I'd love it if they could say, have an achievement that kicks off when you finish it. And if you've hit that achievement, you can't refund it. Like something that's like that to protect yeah. indies would be really nice because that's, I think that's really the only weak point in the whole system is that you can't return some, you can return something um, and it might just be an hour long, whatever game. And you can just kind of hand it back after you're done and, and the indie and the developer doesn't get anything for it. Yeah. No, I think that's actually a really good idea with the uh, achievement. Uh, Christian, what's your take on this? You ever, you ever get a refund for a guy? I know you tried to get a refund for some console games once and yeah, it did not waiting go on well. my check activision um <laughs> i still have high hopes that it's going to show up one day three years later i i think it's good uh, i understand the you know the concern that sean was raising about the two-hour thing I, I think you'll continue to hear stories like that however but i don't think the majority of users are doing something like that or exploiting something like that or buying a an indie game and then returning it i would hope not i mean i think anytime you have a system that is generally good and allows people freedom and flexibility there are always going to be people that are nefarious and exploited i mean the people you buy clothes leave the tag on wear it you know to a party then take it home you return it the next day or whatever it's kind of the Wait, same I can, thing i can do that that <laughs> you shouldn't but you can um so i i'm happy that we're seeing it and we're seeing it expanded xbox is kind of dipping their toe into it as well with digital returns hopefully sony follows suit hopefully nintendo follows suits because as things become more digital and you know sean mentioned when he you he owned quote unquote rage but even then you're not even owning it right you're like buying a license and they then dictate what you're allowed to do with it but then if it doesn't work you're not allowed to get your money back like get out of here you know like how authoritarian can someone be with like you will you will pay for this you cannot play it too bad like it's just you know it's ridiculous so i hopefully we'll see it to continue to expand i think it's just better for consumers christian what is your story of the week it's a sad one. I didn't put it in the dock because uh, I was just kind of catching up on it as I was getting settled. But uh, Glixel San Francisco office has been closed, and the oh, team I got didn't laid see off. That. Oh mm-hmm. no! 
At least seven jobs were lost. Uh, this is coming from GameIndustry.biz. Our friend uh, in front of the show, John, also posted on his Facebook. Um, I'll just quote the first part of it here. It's taken a couple of days for this to properly sink in, but sadly, on Thursday this week, we closed the San Francisco Glixel office. I'm incredibly Incredibly proud of what we achieved over the past year and a half. We set out to build something with a clear vision that covered games differently by making it about people rather than just product. And um, Simon Cox also chimed in on Facebook saying, sadly, Rolling Stone couldn't make a remote office in San Francisco work for them and struggled to give us the support and attention we needed to really grow. No harm, no foul. And uh, it's a shame. I really loved what they did. I think some of their their interviews with creators and developers were fantastic. I thought their E3 coverage was fantastic. I certainly love John, and I hope that uh, everyone bounces back. I never liked the name Glixel, but that's neither here nor there. I, lo- <laughs> I love the content they put out. And I guess apparently... They're going to see Glixel still, quote-unquote, exists, but maybe run out of the Rolling Stone New York office, so we'll hmm. see. Well, I hope so, yeah. We're, we, you know, we, we're certainly not objective on that one. We're friends with those guys and uh, had been uh, rooting for their success, and uh, I, this is news to me, so I'm surprised but uh, saddened as well. Um, Sean, you have lots of experience for many years now running a, a video game website. <laughs> oh, that I've focuses... seen them rise and I've seen them fall, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I feel like your name is now just an insult, like gamers with jobs. Like, yeah, I mean, it's not a <laughs> job in gaming, but it's like I got a job. <laughs> yeah, I have a job because it's hard to uh, make a career out of writing about video games. Uh, always has been. Um, you know, even uh, I, I'd say the 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 internet bubble uh, certainly created uh, a lot of groundwork for for good games journalism because there's a lot of money uh, flying around to do that. So I think it really helped our industry grow up a lot. Uh, but I think that we're finding more and more there's a lot of interest in covering games. There's obviously a lot of uh, eyeballs and traffic to be garnered for it. Uh, but it's not shocking to me that you know Glixel was ostensibly owned, controlled by Rolling Stone. I think. Right. right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then we've got like Vice now has Waypoint uh, that Austin Walker and Rob Zachty and Danielle and that crew are doing over there. Yeah. Uh, and they're all kind of following what I consider the giant bomb model, which is a fairly small crew, really, really engaged with their community and covering games, but not trying to cover everything. Right. Right. Trying to bring a lot of personality into podcasts, video content. Uh, things like that, and trying to do different things. Um, Polygon's been interesting to watch them grow and change because uh, they started with a pretty uh, a pretty up there concept of doing a lot of like in depth documentary kind of video coverage, doing a lot of in depth long form stories, trying to bring a lot of kind of seriousness to video game coverage and and expanding in those directions. And as I've watched people slowly fall off the polygon tree, it's mostly been the people who are in charge of doing all that depth stuff. And when you go there now, it's a lot more hot takes on TV shows, hot takes on games, uh, headline opinions delivered as a headline, basically, um, to try and draw eyeballs. So I think everybody's scrapping out there. And honestly, I I love John Davidson. uh, So I don't know why I didn't pay more attention to Glixel, but I, I almost I don't know if I've ever looked at this homepage before. Uh, like it's just, it's just tough to, it's a tough, it's a tough, uh, it's a tough racket. Let's put it that way. It is indeed. And I think that, you know, they really were trying to create a more, uh, grown up sort of, um, rolling stone in in that model of the sort of deep dive into things and, and a, a more, I guess, erudite kind of approach. I know you guys are, you know, you guys have always been at gamers with jobs 
committed to written stuff, you know, the the written – not what everybody else is doing. Uh, but you also have podcasts and other kinds of media that, that the show – and you're expanding into even sort of narrative shows uh, with yeah. some of the, you know, role-playing game stuff that you guys are doing. What is your feeling about the audience as far as uh, the the desire for written content and sort of more, I guess – deeper than surface level written content uh my my sense is that there's there's not as much desire i think that the i think the audience for game coverage is actually a lot wider uh i don't necessarily think it's a lot deeper um so even though the gaming audience is getting older right like the i i would say the audience has kind of grown with my generation like gamers with jobs has been around for like Oh God, uh, 16, 15 years, some, somewhere around there. Um, and, uh, and so when we started that, I was in my early twenties, I'm 36 now. Um, and so my taste have definitely evolved. Um, and I would say gamers with jobs is kind of like, we're, we're very close to being on the porch and wondering what all this streaming is about. Like all these streaming <laughs> kids, yeah. all these quote unquote influencers and stuff. I keep hearing about, um, invading E3 and stuff. Like, uh, it's just not the way we did it back in my day. Damn it. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. um, but at that said, like we've done a lot of, we have actually a, a gamer, we have a streaming group on Twitch. So different mem- community members all will, will beam their stuff into our Twitch channel. Um, we do some of that. We do let's play videos. We do podcasts and we do, like you mentioned, narrative RPG, uh, based kind of, um, real play storytelling, uh, stuff as well. But all we're doing is just following what we're interested in. And because yeah. we've never wanted to be in a position where we had to make money and we had to make a real go of it as a career, uh, cause it just, it wouldn't have been fun anymore. And you could see the writing on the wall. Like it's just uh, first it was the game magazines. Uh, and now it's a lot of the big websites. Like when a site like joystick goes away and they were, they were profitable, they were fine and they right. still went away. Um, you know, all bets are off. So I, uh, we've, we've never tried to make a career out of it. And I think that was long-term ultimately the, the right call because uh, looking at the content for a lot of these sites do manage to stick around. Oh boy, you got to scream so loud to to get attention, and you've yeah. got to like really bend over backwards for it. And it's just not not something we've ever really been interested in. Yeah, I mean, I think I think just the name alone, kind of gamers with jobs. It, you're you're broadcasting that your your audience is not is not maybe is a little older than the average you know yeah. young gamer because yep. it's for people with jobs. Um, so I think I think already that's you're kind of. You know, saying, "Hey, we're not we're not doing what everybody else is doing," which I, I appreciate. Yeah. Oh, yeah, completely. And at the time, that was the that was that was back when you remember the blockbuster ads with the gamer kid on it, oh, with yeah. like the you know, like looking like he's in a wind tunnel and he's getting his hair blown back and his colored shades and everything. I'm um, like that at that point when we started the website, it was like, no, no, like people who have mortgages also play video games. Like right. it was like a big concept. Um, back then. And so we wanted to make sure that was included in the name. So people, we kind of had a mission statement right up front. Uh, and these days it's, it's just sort of, uh, quaint because of course, like I run into people in their thirties all the time. We've got like three kids trying to make ends meet and talking about how they just bought a super Nintendo, uh, <laughs> and yeah. stuff like that. Cause they want to keep playing games in some way. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I think it's definitely grown up. So I, uh, I'm, I'm bummed about Glixel though. I, I, I do like John Davison a lot. Um, he's definitely, he was at Metacritic for a while. Like he's definitely been bouncing around. Well, he's been everywhere. That, yeah, that guy so. has done everything in the games. So I mean, he ran yeah. game pro and one up and I mean, he's, yeah. he's been everywhere. So yeah. yeah. So he's a journeyman. I'm not worried about John, but um, yeah. it's, it's definitely a bummer. Um, 
Let's talk about I'll, – I'll use my story of the week to talk a little bit about the E3 Games Critics Awards. Uh, we saw the winners announced uh, this week. I'm not really ever even sure if the Game Critics Awards have that big of an impact coming out you know, a week or two after E3 is already over. But I think it's still interesting to, to talk through them in a, in a week that there's not really a lot else to talk about. Um, the big winner, of course, best of show is Mar- uh, Super Mario Odyssey. I can't even say it. Super Mario Odyssey winning best of show. Uh, I think it topped a lot of people's list. It wasn't my personal game of show. It wasn't even my favorite Mario game at the show, but it still, I think, impressed a lot of people and certainly can't argue with that selection. Um, but the other Mario game, Mario plus Rabbit's Battle Kingdom, uh, did pretty well as well. It won Best Original Game, um, which I don't know how original the idea of just putting Mario in XCOM is, but okay. Uh, but it also won Best Strategy Game. Uh, Mario Odyssey also won a Best Action Adventure Game. Uh, we got Best PC Game going to Destiny 2, which seems a little bit like, hey, That's Destiny's so on PC now. <laughs> <laughs> People are excited about Destiny just being there. Um, we got uh, Metroid Samus Returns coming a- uh, up as best handheld game, best hardware peripheral, of course, the Xbox One X. No surprise Is there. By, by, right? like, by default. Yeah. Like, by default, I think. I was going to argue, why wasn't Mario Odyssey? Best hardware <laughs> peripheral? No, best handheld. Oh, oh, best handheld. Oh, I, uh, yes. Ah, you know, fascinating concept. I, I never think of the Switch as a handheld, but I think that's, I think, a huge driver in its, in why people are excited about it and why there's so many Nintendo games on this list is because it's a hybrid. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I guess that is a very good question, Christian. Is it, is our Switch games inherently, you know, viable for best handheld game? It's an interesting question. I mean, I think Nintendo right now will say, no, 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 no. Like, you know, we're a console. <laughs> but I think uh, in a couple of years, it'll be like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> totally. We, yeah. You take it with you. Here's our better battery life or whatever. You know, I mean, it is. It's, it's a handheld. I played the crap out of it on the plane to and from London. That is a handheld. I, I didn't have a CRT TV or, you know, one of those like trunks with an LCD monitor in it that I had my PS4. I'm sitting there just playing a handheld. It's a handheld. Right. Uh, and yes, as Sean was saying, the uh, default best hardware peripheral is Xbox One X. I mean, I don't even know what it was nominated against, but um, obviously that was going to win. Uh, nice to see Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus, getting best action game. Uh, I think uh, that game well-deserved, um, that title. Oh, by the way, I should mention, if you're not clear about the Game Critics Awards, the stipulation there is that Game Critics had to be able to put their hands on a controller and play it for at least 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of games on here, or there's a lot of games at the show that would not be eligible for this award uh, that people are talking about because they were not actually physically playable by humans. <laughs> um, our, our own uh, award... We had a similar stipulation, but it was as long as we saw someone playing it. So even a lot of the games that were not eligible for the game critics because critics themselves couldn't touch them, couldn't play them. We, you know, we were a little more lenient. As long as we saw a person playing it, we were happy. Uh, Best racing game, Forza 7. No surprise there. Um, Best online multiplayer, Star Wars Battlefront 2. And my own personal... uh, Joy here comes from seeing the Artful Escape winning Best Independent Game. Uh, Annapurna is just knocking it out of the park, in my opinion, and I was so delighted to be able to play a little of Artful Escape and see 
the joy of that game, and I'm, I'm glad it's it's awarded here as well. Best VR game, Lone Echo, which surprisingly beat out uh, Skyrim and Fallout uh, from Bethesda, which were both nominated in that category as well. Um, Did you uh, try Skyrim or Fallout VR? Not to I tried both. Totally take a soft track, yeah. I tried both. And uh, I was very impressed with uh, Fallout because uh, the way VATS works in the system is really clever and fun. And the free movement that they've put in now uh, since last year is awesome. And it didn't make me nauseated. It's just works. It, it's going to be a really fun, exciting game to play. I have mentioned before that Skyrim, I was a little disappointed by. Um, yeah. Okay. That, yeah. that tracks. Just yeah. curious. <laughs> And and I actually think I wish they had done it reverse. I know that Fallout is the more recent game and probably more demanding game to put on PlayStation, but I wish they had put Fallout as the PlayStation VR exclusive and Skyrim as the game that's on Vive because I think Fallout with a aim controller would be so rad. It would be so rad and it would solve a lot of the problems that Skyrim has with those dumb motion controllers because uh, – the the move controllers are just not f- suited for moving around in VR. They're they're cool for hand tracking. They're fine. They're called move controllers, Jeff. They work just fine for moving. No, <laughs> they can't be. They're not called still controllers. That maybe. Yeah, <laughs> just put them down and move over to the Vive. Exactly, that's true. And it's a bummer that Skyrim's going to be exclusive for a little while on on PlayStation VR because I think it'll look a lot better. Uh, anyway. So, any other uh, reactions, guys, to the Game Critics Awards? Not, not particularly. I mean, it seems fine. It's, it's they, they could relabel it to game, game the, the top game games that demo best at, right. at E3 might, might work too, right? Like sports game, FIFA, sure, okay, yeah, why not? I, I don't know. It, it's FIFA. You know, yeah. if you're a games critic, you sit down. It's like oh, I played this before. Right. That, this feels like that. That's pretty good. Um, like role playing game. Uh, I am very interested in Nino Kuni too. Uh, but I don't know how you rate a role playing game at a at an E3 conference. It's just right. it's it's a tricky thing to do. So I'm I'm glad the Artful Escape got some notice, and uh, I think Hidden Agenda under Best Family Game. I think that's that's a really fascinating uh, game that's coming out. But yeah. Yeah, everything else just kind of reads like, sure, that's fine. We'll, we'll see. We'll. I'd, I'd actually be if I had endless free time and and maybe uh, somebody offered me money to do it. I'd love to compare E3 awards with like Game of the Year awards, right? Year year over year, just to kind of see how how these things tend to fall out because they're the same. Evolve won won all of them. <laughs> oh, that's right. Evolve is the best pull for that. Evolve demoed so well at conferences. Evolve was like, this thing's going to be massive, uh, and and definitely not. Right? It was. It was just a massive sales disappointment, unfortunately. <laughs> it's also a massive statue at the conferences. Yeah. It was pretty great. Well, I feel I, like... Oh, go, go ahead, ahead Jeff. No, 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 go ahead. I, say, I feel like this tracks, unfortunately, the E3 Game Critics Awards tracks very closely to our conversation we just had about um, video game websites and Glixel, and I feel like Back when I was getting my Game Pro or EGM in the mail, this would have been I would have flipped right to this and read all about it. But now with everybody providing instant coverage, instant impressions, you doing daily newest latest best from the show floor. Speaking of Glixel, they had podcasts every day. Giant Bomb had podcasts every day. We did two extra special podcasts. We're like 
we, we you, you, know, you already know. So like this comes out and you're, it either reassures what you thought, like, yeah, yeah, that was great. Or you're just like, well, I don't know. I think Destiny 2 is a better online game than Battlefront 2. And then you're kind of like, well, cool. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it doesn't, it for better or worse, um, whether it's E3 awards or even um, uh, game, oh, what God, video game awards or whatever, they don't carry the same weight as Oscars or Golden Globes or Emmys. And the same thing I think is true about video game coverage. And I don't know if it's because of the lack of, well, this is for a longer discussion for later, but like the lack of celebrity or people that you want to see on TV. Uh, it's the same reason why a video game magazine in the vein of Rolling Stone doesn't carry the same weight as Rolling Stone because it's like, here's guy who made destiny two versus you know here's Mick Jagger. i should be dead and you're like i know which one i'm buying at the airport you know <laughs> i think uh, sean makes a good point too about the the idea of these like as what game shows best it's it's all it's an the idea of giving awards for tiny advertisements for things is kind of funny you know it, it'd be like if they gave awards at show west for like the best trailer of a movie you know it's it, we don't know if the movie's going to be any good, but the trailer was sure great. Uh, it's well, kind of there's a, there's actually advertiser marketing conventions where they give awards out to best commercials and stuff like that. Sure. So, yeah, the Ace. Know, like, I think they're called the Ace Awards or something like that. The I think so. Yeah, it's yeah. called season four of Mad Men. I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, but I and I understand giving the award to the advertising agency, but this is literally like you're showing us you're you're showing off a tiny portion of your game and we're giving you an award for it it seems it seems well the hope is and i think i think we do a good job with this and i'm assuming the game critics do as well the hope is that the people that are giving these awards you know you're versed enough in the product and in a demo that you're kind of trying to extrapolate out a little bit that's why i think sean's uh you know infinite time infinite monkeys infinite typewriters project would be really really interesting to see you know what does track between best e3 and, and end of the year awards because I think even, you know, going back to Evolve, you know, very smart people looked at that and thought, yeah, this is this is great. You know, yeah, you're going to need a crew to run with, but they're doing a lot of smart things here. And this is really going to, you know, catch on. And it it just was such a mess. Well, and, and then other like, times. Oh, oh, wait, you're charging how much for it? Right. Oh, <laughs> damn. Oh, wait. So the developer won't be whispering in my ear what I should be doing and like yelling at me excited when I do something good <laughs> while I'm playing it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah it's hard. Feel real good. You got a wristband. It's a pretty good demo. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It should be best swag of show. Um, all right, let's move on. Uh, as I said, kind of a light news week, but that's okay because we got games to talk about. But first, I want to thank our sponsor. You've heard me talk about Squarespace before, and if you're looking to make your next move, and whatever that might mean to you, chances are you're going to need some kind of online presence. So make your next move. With Squarespace, make your next website, make your next beautiful looking website with a unique domain name, something that will promote whatever you need to promote or get people going and and feeling confident that it's not going to crash. It's going to look good. It's going to look different than every other website on the, on the web. It's going to have a unique style and feel to it. The easiest way to do that is to use Squarespace. Squarespace, you start with award-winning designer templates and then you make them your own in the easiest way possible. It's just drag and drop. It's all what you see is what you get. Just mess with stuff, move it around, make it look how you want it to look, create great websites. My own website, jeffcanada.com, is using uh, Squarespace, has been since it started many, many years ago, and I love Squarespace. I will never leave because 
Uh, it is just the easiest way to update things. It's the easiest way to make sure things are stable. I always recommend this to family members when they're like, I need a website. How? You're internet guy. Tell me how. And I say, just go to squarespace.com slash DLC <laughs> and check it out because you can actually build your website without even having to give them the credit card. There's not going to be any automatic charging of you. You just build, use their tools, check them out, build the website the way you want it to be, see how easy it is. And then when you're done, you can actually save money because you listen to this show. All you got to do is use that promo code Jeff sent me all one word, J E F F S E N T M E. When you go to squarespace.com slash DLC and you'll save 10% off. But if you're not completely happy with the website that you built, they're not going to automatically charge you. You're going to have the the ability to use all those cool tools. And these are the same tools that are used by a whole bunch of creative people, businesses, musicians, artists, designers, restaurants, anything you can imagine. Plus, they have 24-7 customer service and support uh, to make sure that any problem you might have gets dealt with very, very quickly. It's great. Squarespace.com slash DLC. That promo code Jeff sent me will get you 10% off. Make your next move with Squarespace. Start a video game website. Yeah. Yeah. Make your next million. <laughs> That's a safe bet. Make millions. Sean, what is on your playlist? Well, uh, let's see here. I've, I've got three things I want to talk about. Um, first okay. one is uh, called Nex Machina. Yes, and, um, it's it's uh, from the same company that did Resogun, Super Stardust, Super Stardust HD, a bunch of other really cool games. Uh, but Next Machina is also a twin stick shooter uh, where you're running around in a level. Um, in, in this case, like Stardust was a big planet. You were just circling around this kind of big globe, basically, and you're using one stick to shoot in different directions and one stick to move around. And you're trying to save civilians. So Next Machina is another arcade style game in the similar vein. But this time it's a little bit more top down, although not completely. And you're playing as a dude running around and you're using dodges like you're dodging around, you're shooting enemies, you're trying to handle all these waves of enemies, all the bolts flying at you and stuff. Uh, but what's really notable about this, because I was playing, I was like, man, this feels kind of like Smash TV. It's got mm-hmm. a real Smash TV vibe to it. And uh, it turns out that um, Eugene Jarvis, who's one of the developers on Smash TV and uh, Robotron 2084, worked yes. on this game. It makes yes. complete sense now. It's just like, oh, yeah, of course. Uh, so it's so funny. Machina, It's so funny that you say that because I got this email. uh, I talked about this a little bit last week. I got this email. Paul Workman sent an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. He says, I'm guessing every old like me listener has already mentioned this. But when you described Next Machina, I thought he's describing Robotron 2084. And then I looked it up and the designer of Next Machina also designed Robotron 2084. Yeah, I'm guessing Robotron 2084 is before your time. God, I'm old. No, Paul, I played Robotron 2084, uh, but uh, Sean did a better job of describing it than I did because I, I, I neglected to mention it. But yeah, it, but it it's that with like the coolest, most vibrant sheen of new fresh paint ever. Mm-hmm. And they've got some neat tab. You can do in the options, you can actually change the look of the game a little bit. You can make it uh, less colorful. You can play grayscale. You can play it with a little bit more of a retro feel to the look of it, uh, which is really neat. Because the screen, uh, if I do have any criticisms of it, the screen can get pretty busy. Uh, when you, when <laughs> yeah. you blow up enemies, they kind of blow up into a thousand polygons. And when you're blowing up a lot of enemies at once, you're trying to keep track of all the bullets coming at you. All those polygons can be kind of nuts. Um, but the game does feature co-op. 
a lot of really cool weapons and it's a total like get in the flow shooter like it just yeah. when you it's it's one of those games where you actually f- play best when you're not thinking too much and you're just sort of reacting to what's going on on the screen so i've mostly been playing rookie and i've been dipping my tone to normal and uh slowly getting better so it's a really nice score chase really cool game to chill out to and the cool thing too is that it's very forgiving as far as uh letting you keep playing i mean in arcade mode you get 99 continues so it's like oh okay well i'm not gonna get a high score but at least i'm you know i'm not gonna ever feel like i can't keep playing so Yep. Yep. So that's, uh, so that's pretty great. Um, the, uh, other thing I want to mention, I've been playing uh, breath of the wild, the master sword DLC Ooh. that just came out. Um, so breath of the wild is a very popular game in my house. My wife is, Oh, vaulted over a hundred hours. I'm sure at this point, she's a, she marries a game for six months and just plays <laughs> it endlessly. Um, so she, uh, when that I mentioned to her in passing, Oh, that new DLC is out. And she's like, ah, she already did the thing, downloaded it. Uh, so she's played it a lot more than I have, but I have had a chance to play it and it's got some really nice stuff in it. But the, uh, the main thrust of it is the master, uh, sword, the trials, uh, that right. you'll do in there. Um, so you basically go to a place, uh, once you've, I mean, Spoiler, I guess, at some point when you're playing Zelda, you'll get the Master Sword. It, is that... I hope I haven't blown anybody's mind just now. Uh, but in, in Zelda, once you have that sword, you are then able to do these Master Trials. You don't have to have finished the game. And the Master Trials, they kind of take a little bit of uh, survival games, sort of a, a, a take on Zelda. So what you're doing is they start you in the Master Trial with nothing. You're in your weird, futuristic boy shorts um (laughs) with uh no weapons no food no armor all you have is your sheikah slate and your glider uh and you have like your like your sheikah slate powers like your magnet your bombs and all that stuff and they just have you go through um a a progressively more challenging set of levels and each level is just a little uh, relatively large like a plate you can hide and run around in but just basically a square arena Right. There might be a tree and a moblin fort and stuff like that. And you just have to kill everybody in that level, in that area. And then you go to a little portal and you go to the next level. And then you just keep doing that and you go deeper and deeper. But there's a few wrinkles here, right? So you've, you got to really manage your resources because you can only work with what you collect in the levels. Um, you can't save. So if you die, you have to start from the beginning. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and like, and as you go along, there's boss fights you got to do, um, there's, uh, enemies or, um, like chests, like midway, midway points where you have a chance to like cook things that you've collected, Hmm. provided you haven't devoured them all trying to stay alive to get there in the first place. So they really want you to like use your bombs a lot, think tactically about what you're doing. It's taken something in Zelda for me, which was the combat, which got kind of rote as I became just this, uh, invulnerable tank. In the, yeah. in the, in Hyrule, um, and, and saying like, okay, tough guy, back to square one. You start with nothing. There's three, uh, are they called moblins? I keep calling them that, but I, I don't remember Sounds if that's right what to me, called. but it I could feels know. right. Um, and there's three like moblins right around a campfire and, and the, their weapons are laying against the log and you're like, you have nothing. So you either get to one of those weapons before they do, or you're going to have to try and kill them with bombs and then get their weapons. But be careful. You set fire to a bunch of stuff by mistake. You have less items to take with you to the next level. So it actually really changes the way you think about it. And uh, I've been really digging it so far. Um, and they've got some other neat features too. They've got a new feature that you can actually, it'll show you the game world map and you can see everywhere. It'll trace your footsteps. It'll show you yeah. everywhere you've gone which up to 200 hours, which is 
bananas. So it's really neat that they've been tracking that the entire time you were playing. Um, so that'll really help for people who want to explore every corner to see what corners they haven't hit yet. Uh, and then they it was like a day a, where like all my friends were posting their little screenshot of of their path, and I was like, oh, I've really not put in as many hours as a lot of my friends. Oh my god, I, I'm a joke. Like I've got one row of hearts. I, yeah. I have so many shrines I haven't done yet. Um, and then uh, and then they've got the new the hard mode uh, in there as well. So you could start a new game in hard mode, which makes the enemies more difficult. Um, I don't know if they've. I'm not sure if they've secreted other stuff in there, but it definitely makes the enemies more difficult. And it only gives you two slave slots: an auto save slot and a regular save, and that's it. Mm. So hard mode uh, is for people who want to get a lot of value out of Zelda. That's great. So that bunch of new armors, uh, new weapons, costumes. Tingle costume. Oh, the tingle costume terrifies everybody <laughs> in the game world, rightfully so. Um, so it's it's neat. And I think they want... I, I bought the season pass, which was like 30. I think that's Canadian. I don't know. Uh, it's the problem with the American dollar right now. Like every time your president tweets, like the dollar goes up and down. Yeah. So it's really hard for me to keep track of how things convert. But um, <laughs> yeah. it's I got well, the whole season pass. And I feel like it was... A- we used to have a gold standard for our, for our currency. Now it's a tweet standard. Yeah, just a tweet standard. Yeah. So the the tweet index um, yeah, today exactly. <laughs> um, means that it, I probably paid a little more. Uh, but um, it's really neat. And I was worried it was going to be like, oh, here's a hard mode and some extra features and a little trial thing, whatever. But it actually, there's really great value just in this one alone. Uh, and then we're going to get more story content in the winter. So I, I feel great about it. I'm really glad I got it. Super cool. Uh, I'm curious, you and your wife both, What? how do you usually play the game? Mostly handheld or on the TV? Uh, mostly hand, uh, actually, no, mostly on the TV. Um, I, uh, I play it when I'm, I'll play it traveling. It's a great airplane console for yeah. me. We actually played Mario Kart on a plane, which it, like we were playing it and I was just like, this is ridiculous. This is like luxurious what we're doing right now. <laughs> you guys so are doing silly. the commercial. You're doing the- oh, we're doing the commercial. It's so great. Um, what's the, the key difference between my wife and I? I, I don't understand this. So I bought the Pro Controller. Mm-hmm. I use the Pro Controller. The Switch Pro Controller is really good. Yeah, I agree. Like it's a really great controller. I was shocked at how good this controller was. Way overpriced. Feels good. It, it is overpriced, but that's a really good controller. Yeah. Um, my wife prefers the two, the Joy-Con slotted into the little plastic holder. She prefers that to the mm-hmm. Pro Controller because um, she just likes it. it. Feels It's a bit smaller. It's a slightly different shape. Fits her hands better. She just prefers that So because that's what she started playing with. So... Uh, she'll she'll take that over the pro controller. That's like the key difference. That and she's better at it than I am. Those are the two key differences in in our gameplay. <laughs> I think that I have come to terms with the fact that I'm not going to finish that game, and I, I'm really sad about it. Like I want to, but I want to in the abstract. It 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 is a game that for whatever reason did not get its hooks in me the way I expected it to. It it didn't get its hooks into me the way I even. Um, Link Between Worlds did, which I played compulsively. And I don't know the reason why. And I feel a little guilty about it, feel a little bad about it, but it just didn't, didn't hook me. Uh, you, did you like Horizon Zero Dawn? I don't remember. Yeah, it's my, I, I think it will be my game of the year so far. Yeah. It's, it's, so I, I think, I think, cause I play both at the same time. I think it's really telling on the kind of player you are. Cause Horizon Zero Dawn, I loved it too. Gorgeous, great story, very directed. Right. You will never be lacking something fun to do if if like if you're not sure what to do next, you can bring up a map, you're gonna there's all kinds of stuff you can do. It's very Horizon Zero Dawn is very concerned with making sure you're always engaged with the game. Yeah. And Zelda's like, eh, 
cruise around, see what happens, generate some stories, uh, have some adventures. Like Zelda is just a different mindset, different pace. And I, I think some people um, really prefer having something a little bit more directed. Let, that's been kind of my read on the difference between the two. I think you're really right on there. And I, I think since I've had a kid and my gaming time is more precious and uh, it has to be, you know, and since I'm talking about stuff and there's always new things to play, I feel like uh, having accomplished something in the two hours I play something means more to me now than it used to. And oftentimes I would pick up Zelda and play for two hours and do a couple of shrines. But for the most part, just kind of wandered around and did stuff and appreciated that freedom and appreciated that approach to game design and in sort of conceptually, but ultimately walked away and went, oh, I really I didn't get any closer to finishing that game and I didn't get any closer to, you know, doing something more substantial in that game. And I feel like I did, those two hours were not rewarded. Ah, see, now that, that that brings something to mind because what you're basically describing is I like to have goals and accomplishments. Like I want to like accomplish it. I want to sit down, get some stuff done and get going. Like my wife finished the game. She's done all the shrines. Mm-hmm. And you can wow. walk. There's actually a mask you can get to like help help you track down Kodok's seeds, little puzzles that you've missed throughout the world and stuff. Mm-hmm. But even before this DLC came out, she'd still pop onto the game and run around sometimes. But she's also the kind of person who will reread books that she likes. Right. Right. Whereas I'm not. Like I'm more of an accomplishment kind of person too. But I think that when she plays Zelda, I think that it makes her feel a certain way that she really enjoys. Just like she rereads books because she likes the way they make her feel. Like she's right. a she's a more intuitive kind of person. Um, and uh, and I and I wonder if there's some element of just like it's it's like the Breath of the Wild is like this really nice world to just kind of hang out in, and it's not necessarily going to be the right place for you if you're like i got two hours i want to feel like i've accomplished something (laughs) yeah no i think you're absolutely spot on and i don't like that about myself i kind of i feel a little bad that that's how i am because i as i said i appreciate it conceptually i go yeah that is really an amazing thing that they did with zelda that they created this world that people like your wife want to hang out in and and i even when i'm when i'm playing it i go god i love this i love the fact that i just climbed to the top of a mountain and i just did it to look around and that was really really cool but two hours went by and all i did was climb to the top of this mountain and look around (laughs) but you didn't climb the mountain to just look around yeah i was looking for stuff Mm -hmm. and then there was nothing there (laughs) right Right. And and the difference between that and and then like actual hiking is you get a, a view that is real and the exertion and endorphin release of exercise. And I think some people and there are different games for different people that have that, you know, voyeuristic vacation relaxation game for me. It's still Forza Horizon 3 where but I am getting things that I'm doing It's like a race. Ping, ping, ping. Things are, are pinging away. Um, I think people thought um, or, or Minecraft can be that for people um, and games have that. And, and I know for like, oh, I'm assuming, uh, Sean, for your wife, it's kind of like this. It's escapism. You're just hanging out in this beautiful place. It's like looking at a painting. You're not accomplishing anything by looking at a Monet, but other than appreciating the beauty of the thing. But I feel like, Jeff, what you were saying, and I'm of the same mold, um, you're just kind of describing it a little inaccurately for you personally. You are not climbing the mountain just to look around. You are climbing the mountain in the hopes of achieving something. And then when you get up there, Zelda's like, ha ha, nope. And then that is a letdown instead of climbing up to this thing really just to see and being like, cool, great. 
and then and moving the, on with what and you're if doing. You get, I think the smart thing Zelda does, and and that's again, it's like it's it's not going to do the Far Cry thing where you get because normally, like in a game like Far Cry, you 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 climb the mountain, you do that verticality because then you can you can look around with binoculars and spot stuff and mark it, right? Zelda lets you do that, but they only give you five markers, yeah. and and I think that that's like a really key thing. Zelda doesn't want you to feel. Uh, overwhelmed with choices. It wants you to make really specific choices about what you want to accomplish and then figure out how you're going to do it. Um, Dragon's Dogma sort of had a similar vibe to it as well. Like mm. Dragon's Dogma was like, okay, you're starting here. You want to accomplish this thing. Make sure you're kitted up and then go on a journey and accomplish that, right? And and see what happens along the way. But it won't give you a a, a breadcrumb trail. It won't it won't do anything. Like it really wants you to just go and explore and and have that sort of hiking. To me, it's like a hiking experience. Like go on a hike and see what happens. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, agree. I think it's just a total different mindset. But um, but Zelda. Uh, at the risk of getting too hokey about it, like when I play Zelda, it, like Zelda, ha- that game has a soul. Like that game really feels uh, deep in a way that a majority of video games do not accomplish. I they they're magical over there. I just it's amazing to me. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right, and that's what makes me feel so bad is that I I want to be the soul. <laughs> I want to be, bad. I like be the soulful gamer, but well, everything. Then, then go for a run. Get all those endorphins, get all that energy out, and then try playing it. Seriously, I, I better real, make a huge difference. I think I think you're probably right. But the the real issue here is that Heroes of the Storm has ruined me. Because everything now <laughs> is in Heroes of the Storm time units. You know, like two hours of Zelda is four matches of Heroes of the Storm where I can go from level zero to level, you know, 20 or whatever and be have a complete experience and start to finish and feel awesome or or lose or whatever it is and i get my little endorphin check boxes checked because they give me rewards and i get my little rank up or rank down and i'm it's it is i am i have a true addiction and I hate it. I have that that thing that pe- compulsive gamblers talk about where if you win, you want to play another one. And if you lose, you have to play another one. So it's like uh, – it's it's really bad. And I uh, totally recognize the fact that they're messing with my my pleasure center. <laughs> you know, it's – I want to be the soulful gamer, but I'm this, the compulsive gambler. It sucks. That's totally fine. And and uh, Player Unknown Battlegrounds is the only other game I've really been playing recently and that hits the same, that same Heroes of the Storm itch. That's the same thing I've started to fall into. I've been resisting Battlegrounds because I have it, because I've seen how much time a lot of people are putting into it. And I've been really busy. So I'm like, I do not want to get sucked into this. But it, it's finally, I've had some days off and I've, I've started to play it. And uh, all of a sudden I can feel the hooks, like just starting to dig in. I'm like, Oh God. Oh, I get it now. Oh no. And, and all of a sudden it's like, well, I have 30 minutes between this thing I did and this thing I need to do. I could probably squeeze one battlegrounds around in real right. quick. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and they do, it's, they have this perfect loop. You, you join a game. It's random match, 100 people. You have this, you have this 40, 50 second like wait period before you start the round. And then you've got this, the planes flying across the map. First interesting decision. Where, when do you jump? Where do you jump? Right. Uh, and then you jump out and then you're on your collection phase, or maybe you're beating people to death with your fists phase, depending on how close you landed other people. Then you have collection phase and then the circle starts to get smaller and the game slowly ramps up like a roller coaster into like this really tense tactical action game. And then it's like, whoa, wee all the way down. And then you die. And then you're like, Oh, that was amazing. 
let's do it again. And then you have the same build up again. Like it's all built into the whole process. Like the whole like wait, collect, build, 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 build. And then woo, something exciting happens. You have this huge rush of energy and then you just do it again. It's, and you can do it again while someone else is still riding the original coaster. Oh, which you can just be like, all right, sweet. About it. Fresh coaster. I'm, I'm ready for an, a new one. And then you play with a group and it's a different experience. It's like playing like ma- golf with maniacs. It's like playing <laughs> golf with crazy people. You're like wandering around, picking through houses, chatting about whatever. And then all of a sudden you see, oh, bad guy. And everybody just turns into a homicidal sociopath. Like, oh, he's in the bush. Okay, you go that way, this way. Oh, let's get him. Oh, he's dead. Okay. So anyway, I was walking my puppy and, and you know, <laughs> did the cutest thing. And then you just carry on again. Like, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's an insane thing. But it has that such an addictive quality because it's like your body like has all the different feelings associated with every stage of it. And so it's 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 not just that it's like it's a good game and your mind is engaged is that they've actually figured out a way to manipulate this whole emotional story that goes along with playing it. That's what keeps you coming back. It's just incredible getting getting sucked into that. Yeah, I I have not gotten sucked in just because uh I don't like being sniped for no reason. <laughs> but I when I played it, I was just giggling like a kid when I jumped into the sidecar of a motorcycle and my idiot friend was like, "Here we go. We're driving around." I'm like, "Watch out." You know, it's it is such a mix of tension and wackiness uh that I think it it works really really. Well. I mean, we talked a lot about Evolve, and I feel like, you know, some guy by himself modding a game is showing these big multi-million dollar co-op experiences what fun really is about, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but Christian, I know you have uh, you've put, spent a lot of time in in PUBG as well. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I feel like I it has not replaced Overwatch or Forza Horizon Three as my like I'm sitting here and I you know instead of tabbing over to check Twitter one more time, all of a sudden I'm like, oh no, a controller's in my hand. Uh, <laughs> that used to be Rocket League for you, right? Yeah, Rocket League was yeah. It's yeah. fallen out. I haven't I haven't touched Rocket League in forever. I love it, but I have not I have not touched it in forever. Um PUBG is weird where I either I get like really obsessed with it if I start playing it for a night. And then unlike Sean, I think, or maybe you with Heroes, Jeff, I'm able to walk away from it and the longer I'm away from it, I'm like like right now I'm sitting here thinking, what should I do after this? Uh I don't know. I, it's just the same thing every time. Like you just do the thing, you collect the thing, and then you die. And, then, and I, I, I really like boil it down to this very basic thing, except I don't describe it with my voice inflection, making it sound exciting the way Sean did. I'm like, you know, you jump out of a plane, then you collect some stuff, and then you die. <laughs> yeah. And then who cares? You don't get anything. You're not advancing. You're not really learning anything. You're not getting better because the loadout's different. And then you do it again, and it's the same thing. And what a waste of time. And then like when I'm playing it, though, and I'm, after I've been four games in, I'm like, oh, yeah, buddy. Ooh, chicken dinner tonight. Here it comes. You know, and you really buy into that. But then since I've been gone from my PC for two weeks now, I'm like, I don't know. I don't care about that game anymore. <laughs> no, we'll see tonight when I'm like scratching my arm, like just one more, just one more. I got to say uh, in the in the chat, W. Matthew corrects me. He says, stop that fallacy. PUBG wasn't made by one person. It was a full team under the lead of the one guy. So I apologize for. Mis- well, it was a full team of one person, but that was his team. <laughs> <laughs> um christian you you've been playing a lot of breath of the wild on your trip right yeah it, it has been my I, I brought the switch with me for the commercial uh my daughter and her cousin 
played uh, some Mario Kart on the kitchen table, brought it over to London, and they loved it. And then Breath of the Wild was my... It's a really great... I think, Jeff, what you need is that moment of... And I know it's hard with a young kid or whatever, but... Uh, and, and Sean, don't tell your wife this because I don't want her to get mad at me. Uh, but it's like a really great time waster. So like I had a 10 hour flight and I'm like, what am I going to do? I didn't care that I wasn't necessarily achieving anything because I couldn't do anything for 10 hours. I'd rather do that than watch like Suicide Squad or, you know, whatever like the. Oh, yeah. Anything is better than watching Suicide Squad. <laughs> well, like the plane movies or if it's a movie I'm actually interested in, I'd rather not watch it on a plane. And if I'm going to watch it on a plane, then it's garbage, right? It's like that weird thing for me with plane movies. So instead, I was just playing Breath of the Wild and i i really i i man it's tough because i listened to sean talk about it and uh you know the experience his wife is having and other people that just love it and i oscillate with either loving it or hating it and there were moments on my flight and even when i'm in you know was in london and still not having synced up to the local time where i was up too early or too late with nothing to do while everyone else is sleeping playing it and there were moments of just pure joy and pure bliss. And then to me, listening to the description of the Master Sword DLC, I think that's all the stuff I hate about the game. Like the combat, it's just like, oh, are you kidding me? A DLC of combat? It is either overly easy or overly frustrating. Like I've never found that moment in combat and been like, this is the part of the game I'm enjoying the most. Oh, I, you know, finished, uh, I've now done two of the guardians and like oh sweet i solved the puzzle now i get to get into the boss fight this is going to be it's like no that's the worst part of it or like you stumble across um oh gosh what are those mind is i'm still not right uh centaur big guys um lionel yes like i stumble across one of and i'm just like ah crap like no part of me gets excited about that um so I really struggle with the game where I'm having the most fun ever and then i come across a camp of too many people and i'm just like ah damn it, I got to do this now. And it's like this, or I, I find a shrine and it's like hard test of, and I'm like, Ugh. it's going to be just 20 minutes of me chipping away at this stupid thing. And then like you get an orb, you get the same thing for it. It's, it's love, really weird. Sean is like, this game has soul. It's beautiful. It's magical. And Christian's like, I have no soul. This is <laughs> No, the parts that have soul in the game are everything but the combat. Like it doesn't elicit a, a bloodborne or souls type experience of combat or even arkham knight or even horizon where i like the fight is this feast that i'm diving into like horizon zero dawn you get into some of the big beasts even some of the optional ones that aren't you know progressing through the story and i would seek them out because it was it was such a symphony for the eyes and my hands like you forget what you're doing as you're jumping and getting into slow motion and then (laughs) striking at all the symphony for my eyes and hands (laughs) All of the this things is that a experience terrible symphony. It's a symphony. All of the things eyes. that experience symphonies, Jeff. Your eyes and your hands. It's a bunch of people sitting on stools holding instruments. It's the weirdest It was like thing. a light. It was a light show for your ears. Jeff, what I'm <laughs> it was a poop for your mouth. Is what I'm saying. Oh, you had to um, But just this beautiful. Like I, I really get into those fights, and then in Breath of the Wild. I've never found that rhythm in the combat, and I find that as I'm plugging away through the game, it will force me toward that at certain points, whether or not it's a shrine I find as a combat or, you know, completing one of the Guardians of Combat or then going in and waiting in to fight Ganon. It, it kind of keeps leaning that way, and, and I think, Sean, you alluded to this. You start to get pretty OP as you as you spend time in the game, and then I feel like the combat there still isn't fun either because it's just, why am I doing it? So I don't know. I struggle with it. 
Yeah, I, I don't uh, combat. I think is the weakest part of the game. It's sloppy. Um, it's hard to feel accurate. It's hard to lock on to enemies properly. I don't like the button mapping yeah. uh, that they have. I don't like that I'm constantly crouching by mistake and uh, in in the middle of combat. Like there's a lot of stuff in the combat I just don't like. It's odd though because going into the master trials, this is something in my genetic makeup where I love it when you put limitations on what I can do because it really forces me to just like focus. Right. So in Zelda, they're like, okay, you have nothing. Go make that work. And all of a sudden, that makes the combat at least more interesting and puzzle like because I need to think really hard about how do I kill these guys in the most efficient way possible. Um, and, and hopefully it's not going to feel frustrating while I do because I'm swinging where I want to swing. I'm hitting what I want to hit. Um, and, but so far I've, I, I don't master trials, no interest for me. I got it mostly cause I knew my wife was going to really enjoy just having more Zelda to do. Um, but I, I actually got into it and I was surprised at how much I liked it. And it was, it was purely because it was just like, you're, you're, you're Link John McClane and you have no <laughs> weapons and you awesome. need to go into the situation and try and take these guys out as, as efficiently as you can. Um, and keep doing that consistently. Uh, or you're just not going to be able to get through this whole thing. So I, I, I've really dug it for what it's doing there, but I think the other stuff it does makes it worthwhile. Uh, but I think that's kind of depends on whether or not you're done with the game. I, I think that's really what it comes down to. I get it, man. I, when Bastion came out, I got really into their version of this where it's how far can you go? I can't remember what the mode was called, but it was a how far can you get things get ramped up and ramped up and ramped up. And it was all about loadouts and, I played that obsessively. I loved that game. But Bastion, I felt like the combat was sublime. It was just so perfect. And um, it, it was a treat to be able to just test my skills like that. Isn't it funny how, like, everybody, I feel like most gamers, they all have different things where that, you know, they really lock into that. And I think Souls games clicked for a lot of people and kind of became this this large discussion. For me, it was the Arkham games. I think it was right. Arkham City, the second one. Where I think the first two weeks that game was out, I was top 10 on the leaderboards for all of the combat challenges. I just got so, I was like, yeah, the story's fine, but this is like the flow of that combat and figuring it out as it just ramped up, ramped up, up. And then Arkham Knight came out and like they kind of tweaked those combat trials a little bit and it was just enough to make me be not interested in it anymore. Um, or like, you know, Zelda people just really dive into it and they love exploring it or hacking the system or doing whatever and it becomes that thing. And then for someone else, you're just like, no, uh, cilantro tastes disgusting to me. <laughs> yeah, well, Batman's a great example because the very first uh, Batman game, um, just what was it back? Was it Arkham Knight? Arkham, uh, Arkham, Arkham Asylum. Asylum. That one I thought was so funny because I finished it and I played it again immediately because I love the combat so much. And, and I love the combat because it was a rhythm game. Right. <laughs> like right. It, just yeah. like once you got good at it and it clicked, you're like, oh, this is nothing to do with my positioning um, or dodging it. Through. It's just rhythm. It's pure rhythm and I can do it. And Zelda's like um, like playing a xylophone drunk. Like it's just like plink, plonk, plink, plonk, plink, plonk, plink, plonk. It's just like it, there's no rhythm to it. It's just lining up a good club hit and sending them flying down a hill. Total different mindset. I got to say, Sean, you have been a wealth of potential episode titles. I've, I've written down like five. Of of oh come said. on it's symphony for the eyes symphony for the eyes is pretty like good but not. futuristic boy shorts golf with maniacs <laughs> uh what was the one you just said a second ago oh so good um yeah. all right well let's uh let's move on uh, i want to talk quickly uh, a little vr and then we're actually going to do a tabletop time because everybody's played a board game Whoa! all right so let's uh move on now 
to a little bit uh, of VR talk quickly. Sean, you have sold your Vive away, right? Yeah, I did. I wanted to. I oh gosh, I must have been eh, not a year, but pretty close. Um, I, I decided I wanted to sell it a while it still had some value um, because uh, and and b I just felt like I really like VR. I really love its potential. I love the way games feel when I play it. I'm really excited about it. I want it in two years. The hardware is going to get better. Um, the games are going to get better. We're going to feel that out a lot better. And uh, and and as I've been keeping tabs on the industry, I feel like I made the right call. Like mm-hmm. I'm I'm seeing a lot of samey games still still getting VR still getting its their collective feet under it a little bit. I'm still feeling like so. There's lots of interesting stuff, uh, but I, I I'd like to see it mature, and I want to get that had that hardware wireless uh, before I dot back in. Fair enough. Um, I want to talk about a game that I've been playing this week. Uh, Arizona Sunshine is a game I've talked about before because it was out on uh, Vive and Oculus. This is a first-person shooter zombie game, another one of those. But this one actually has a little bit of life to it. I think it's pretty interesting personality. It's a – you're a dude living in the post-apocalypse, zombie apocalypse, and you kind of wake up in your cave and you venture out and you got to – find resources and guns and deal with all the zombies, the hordes of slow-moving zombies. And the VR-ness of it is is pretty great. It, it really feels like a role-playing game or a simulator or a, you know, you're really in that world. You look down your belt, you've got your ammo, you got weapons that you find, you open car doors and you search through them and you find ammo and weapons and stuff. Super cool game, really neat story progression, meaty game, doesn't feel uh, too abbreviated as a lot of VR games do at the moment. But the reason I bring it up now is that it just was re-released on PlayStation for PlayStation VR and supports the AIM controller. So I was all excited to to try it again. Um, and I think the AIM support is really, really cool. In fact, I think it's the best way to play this game. Yes, is it the full game or just a, a separate mode? I wasn't game. sure from the full oh, game. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, it completely supports uh, the AIM controller start to finish. In fact... I don't know how you would play it otherwise. I guess with a DualShock? I don't know. I didn't even try playing the game without aim. But I think it supports the move controllers. I just don't know how you move. I guess – oh, you teleport. You teleport. Okay. But it's cool because with the aim controller, you can turn off teleportation and just move like you do in Farpoint, which is I think how all of these games should should work because I I don't feel nauseated. It works great with the aim controller. It It just works great. It's a little weird that you don't always have a gun in your hand in this game. So having the aim controller be the gun shape sometimes is weird. Like if you reach your hand out to pick something up, because in this game you pick up more than just guns, you pick up all kinds of things and you reach your hand out to do it. Uh, And so you kind of like lean your gun out into the world and then push a button to pick something up. And what you're seeing is your hand move out into the world. That's a little strange, I guess, but it, it, you get used to it pretty fast. It's not a huge deal. And the shooting itself is so much better with that aim controller. The one thing though that I will bring up, having played Arizona Sunshine on Oculus and Vive and comparing it a one-to-one to PlayStation VR, wow, do the graphics have to take a huge step back. And I wonder why that is because the same cannot be said, in my opinion, of Batman Arkham VR. I think uh, while you see it look better on Oculus, 
it's not a huge leap better, but man, this game is a huge leap better on my PC. And I wonder if that has to do with the place it started. You know, like Batman Arkham VR was built for PlayStation and then ported to PC. And, and I think this being the opposite case, maybe that is really what is the determining factor on how big a hit the graphics take. Because the settings are really, really low uh, for this game. Even I'm playing on PlayStation 4 Pro, even there, it is a big, big difference um, from from on my PC. But still, game looks really good. Uh, I don't think it, it is ugly in any stretch, but it just, it's, I was like, ooh, wow, that is different. Very different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it makes sense to me. Arkham VR was, uh, I didn't play the whole thing on PlayStation VR, but I played a decent amount of it. They were real careful to keep those game spaces pretty small. Yeah. Like uh, their their draw distance was a lot of trickery, things like that. Arizona Sunshine is like just massive levels, huge draw distances, a lot of objects, cars, a lot of zombies right. and stuff like that. So I'm I'm not shocked they would just sort of uh, drop the drop the resolution, drop the quality to try and squeeze that all in, rather than try and redesign and optimize the game for it. Um, I'm interested in your take on it because uh, Julian Murdoch, uh, we just recorded our podcast, which will be coming out on Wednesday. Uh, he's also played the Arizona Sunshine on PlayStation VR with the Aim controller, and he detested it. Why? <laughs> like he 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 didn't like the way it controlled. He thought the shooting was fine, but he said manipulating objects and opening doors and stuff is so annoying with the aim controller. Like maybe he just couldn't get the trick of it, but he no, I, I he totally did not enjoy that. that experience. Yeah, I get that. I, and I, as I said, it is awkward. I kind of got used to it um, because what you do is you just sort of like lean the controller out, push the grip button, and then like pull the controller back to you to open a car door or to grab something. Yeah, and it, it is it breaks the the I don't want to even use the word immersion. It breaks the the pretense of what you're doing, you know, it's, it's like, Oh, you're in this world. No, you're not, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not even about immersion. It's like, Oh, you're playing a video game right now. It's, 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 it's you, uh, need, you need to play a VR game where you play a guy whose arm was replaced with a gun and, and that's how I build the gun, build the game around that. I think that's what you need to it's do. Not even that's his arm, my it's, life. it's not even his arm. Yeah, it's just his hand. It's just the end of his yeah. hand. As, as a gun. Yeah. Um, like we've played Gears uh, of War with a chainsaw bayonet, uh, bayonet at the end. My, I have an AK-47 that has one of those like claw grabber little toys at the end, and I open my car door with it. You don't want to open something and not have a muzzle of a gun pointed into the thing you yeah. just opened. Come on, well, yeah. that's the only way to feel safe these days, I think. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, yeah, like he he described, uh, and I know which point he got to. I think he got to that first uh, building where you need to like find a set of keys. Oh and, yeah. And, Definitely. He's like, I, he's like, I knew I had to search a bunch of these filing cabinet drawers and I just, I just didn't want to spend the next 20 <laughs> minutes trying to open drawers with my dumb gun arm yeah. thing. So it would be cool um, if there was so, a way yeah. to switch back and forth easily, but there isn't. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to provide that little bit of bounce because I think they're off. It's like a $40 game. Like it's, it's a, it's up there, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think if you're a PlayStation VR owner and you don't have any other way to play it, I, I would, I would play it. I would play it with aim. I think it's, I think the shooting stuff, which is the majority of what you do in the game. I mean, there are, there are segments like you're describing where you have to manipulate things, but for the most part, using a gun that's independently tracked and being able to like hold it up and use the sights, the Arizona sunshine is a game about ammo conservation and being able to hold the sights up to my actual eye and look down the, the, the site and line up headshots. I wasn't able to do that playing it on Oculus. Also, it's worth noting, interestingly, that in the Oculus Vive version, you start with handguns 
And this game just starts you with rifles because it's like, oh, you're holding a rifle thing. We're just going to give you rifles, um, which I thought was pretty interesting. But yeah, popping headshots and, and using one bullet to take down enemies was pretty great. So I don't oh. know. Yeah, I played on the Vive. I really liked it. Yeah. I, I lo- and I love that like it felt polished. I love that uh, there's like a character that you're playing as who's talking. Yeah. He's got kind of a nice personality and stuff. And, and the fact that it takes place in the daylight different kind of vibe when you're killing zombies during the day. So I thought it was good. I liked it. Cool. All right, let's move on to um, some board game talk with Tabletop Time. Right now, right now. Sean, you have played the Bloodborne board game, which uh, I've heard mixed things about, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah, it is uh, called Bloodborne: The Card Game. Uh, came out in 2016. Uh, it was developed by Eric M. Lang. He's the, uh, he's who, the rock play, star. Oh, uh, if you play board games, if that name comes up, it's worth looking closely at it at the very least. Uh, he's actually got uh, just a little side note. Um, his next game that he's going to be probably hitting Kickstarter. It's a Game of Thrones miniatures game. Uh, he's, he's helping design that. Uh, so it's called a song of ice and fire tabletop miniatures game. And it's going to be a full on like tabletop miniatures, tactical war game. Uh, so something to, something to keep your eye out, uh, for in the future. Um, but yeah, so the bloodboard card game is, is kind of nice. It's a, it's an interesting take. So you've got, uh, all these classic bloodborne enemies from the video game, uh, in a deck and you're flipping one over. Then as a group cooperatively, you're trying to kill the enemy. But the thing is, you want to be the one to land the killing blow because you'll get the most blood points for it. Um, and so the game becomes, uh, you've got a hand of cards. Some of them are going to be weapons. Some of them will be items like, um, like Molotov cocktails and stuff. Uh, some of them will be just pure, um, screw your neighbor kind of cards, uh, depending on what you want to do. Um, and then some of the cards are going to change the order of operation. So all the attacks go in order unless somebody puts out a card that lets them attack first. Hmm. So if an enemy's health is after a round is really low, you may want to go out there with a fast attack weapon so you can get the first hit in to kill it and get all the blood points off of it. Reminds so me of Cutthroat with, Island or Cutthroat uh, Caverns, I, excuse me, Cutthroat Caverns. To a degree, like you're all like assigning damage to it. You're all fighting it. Um, you're all being damaged by it. Like the enemies, when it's the enemy's turn, you, you roll dice and the dice can blow up. So you roll dice, and then if certain uh, dice come up, then you got to roll and add more damage. So you can get a lot of damage. And what you're trying to do is test your luck. How long can you stay in combat before you pull out, go back to the... Oh, God. Why am I blank? It's like the dreamscape. Like, what's the Bloodborne oh. place you go to? It's like a... I can't remember. It's like the a dream. library? What is it called? Uh, the game's too old. We need a sequel to remind us of what it's called. <laughs> yeah, oh, God, please. Why didn't we get a sequel announcement at E3? Um, I'm guessing go back. PlayStation Experience, to be honest. Yeah, I, you go... You go, Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you go back to the dream. Um, and in the dream, you, that's where you can refresh your health. Um, you can bank all the blood you've collected. If you get killed before going back, you lose all the blood that you got. Uh, so you go back to the dream. You bank all your blood. You can get a new item when you go there. And then you go back in for the next round of combat for the next enemy. So it it's like got a really neat card game flow of... Um, how long do I want to stay in this for? Do I think I can take this guy out? If I use my heavy attack weapon, there's a chance someone else is going to hit him first or someone's going to put a Molotov that's going to damage me and the person on the other side of them uh, and the enemy. And like, so you're just, and you everybody picks the card at once, puts it face down and flips them all up at the same time. Hmm. So it's got a really nice active 
like what's everybody going to do and they're like okay everybody's got the cards out does anybody have any attack first cards yes okay you attack you sign the damage okay next who has and you just kind of play it out that way yeah so it's got a really neat like we're kind of working together but we're trying to get all the credit for the kills which is a very bloodborne kind of mindset so i i really like it um my my board game group that meets every week uh we really dig it um but uh but yeah i can see it i think if um long-term viability there's not a lot of different enemies like uh you'll pick uh i think there's like four or five different bosses uh, so when they're out, like you pick the boss for the game you're going to play and they'll have certain qualities. So they might say, if this boss is out, everybody gets two fewer health, hmm. like right out as a baseline. Or, um, you know, you can't do this or you can do that. So the different bosses will change the way the game plays a bit. Uh, but once you've played through those bosses a few times, like I could see wanting a little bit more variety. But the core actual gameplay is really fun. Sounds awesome. That's Bloodborne, the card game. And... uh it it uh, is uh, was released last year. Yeah, last year. It's only like thirty bucks or something. Like yeah. it's not, not that expensive. Cool, uh, Christian. You've been playing Code Names, which is one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, let's keep going back in the time machine to 2015 <laughs> when when Code Names came out. My we were in London, and my sister in law played it at her work. They had like a little break room with some games or whatever, team building kind of thing. And she was like, "Oh my god." Uh, Amanda, my wife, she's going to love this game. I got to bring this, I got to bring this home. And so we played it several nights when we were there and you've talked and raved about code names before. Um, but if anyone doesn't know, it is also a card game, very easy setup where, um, what's the best like analogy game that everybody's played taboo kind of where you're trying to get people to guess things based on a limited suggestion suggestions that you're able to give them. You, you are able to say one word to try to get them to guess, um, the cards that are face up that have words on them to try to guess which ones associate with that one word clue. If you're being very clever, you can say, um, you can try to link three cards. If you have something that kind of ties them all together, forest three. And then if on the table, there are things that might be found in a forest that your other team member is able to guess them and you, you check things off and win. Yeah. It'd be like, it would be like you could have, if you said forest three and it said leaf green and Tom Hanks. You might try to link all those together because, oh, Forrest Gump. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, so you're trying to create these weird sort of outside the box associations, oblique associations with, uh, with things to try to get your team to be guessing more words more quickly. Right. And then if, if they guess one that is not what you wanted them to guess, either that point can go to the other team or there's also an innocent card where kind of no harm, no foul, except that it removes that card from the, the play space, so to speak. So the other team won't need to risk a guess on it. Or there's always one assassin laid out as well that if you get that, it's kind of like sinking the eight ball in billiards where, you know, before you're supposed to, the game, you immediately lose if that happens. And it's fun. I mean, it is like I enjoy games that make me think of the Simpsons episode of Pictionary <laughs> where it's, you know, it's integrity. How do you not see it's integrity? And, you know, yeah. it's just scribbles on a scribbles on a board. And the thing that seems so clear to you where you say like forest and what's on the table is like volcano, uh, shrimp and run and, and like it makes total sense to you because <laughs> you're like forrest forrest gump tom hanks these are all movies that tom hanks was in and the person playing against you is like <laughs> yeah the person playing against you is like a birch bird <laughs> and squirrel and you're like you idiot that has nothing to do with the forest <laughs> yeah uh, and it's fun and it's quick it's, it's quick great. too yeah and there's a new version that's just pictures instead of words it's yes. uh, the code names is 
pretty much as guaranteed a home run pick as you can get. It's inexpensive. It works for anybody. You teach it in about four seconds. Everyone loves it. Every single time I've ever played this game, people are like, oh, can we play that again real quick? It's And the pictures one is great for kids. Like you don't need to be able to read. Uh, it's been a long time since we've done a tabletop time segment, so I have a lot of games I've been playing. But there's only one that I want to talk about because I played it yesterday, and I, I love it. It's called Escape from 10,000 BC. This is from IDW Games and uh, designer Kevin Wilson. He's a guy who did Descent and uh, some other big game, Game of Thrones game. Um, this was a complete shock to me. This game was is, is awesome. It's a time travel game. You and your intrepid group of other players uh, went back in time to 10 million BC, but your time machine crashed inside a volcano, which made it explode and scattered its parts all across this crazy island of dinosaurs in 10 million BC, and also uh, spread all your equipment out all over the island, including guns and rations and health packs and things. So you have to explore the island to try to find all of the parts of your ship and reassemble it so you can travel back to your home time, which is the future, um, uh, all the while collecting items. The problem is you're going to create a whole bunch of paradoxes. You're going to create time rifts by messing stuff up. If you go back to the future and you leave certain parts of your sh- or p- pieces of your equipment there, they're not supposed to be in that time. Boom. Paradox. If you kill a dinosaur that attacks you, that dinosaur wasn't supposed to be killed. Boom. Paradox. You messed it up. Butterfly effect. Bad things. So you can get awesome weaponry and you're going to be attacked by Tyrannosaurus rexes and Velociraptors and all kinds of crazy things. And you can kill them. Because they're going to try to kill you. But if you do, boom, paradox, bad things happen. What happens when paradoxes are created? Oh, well, time rifts open up and things fall out of them. Things like people, famous people. We had uh, had Teddy Roosevelt fall out of a, a time rift and start wandering around in 10 million BC. We had Daniel Boone show up at one point and wander <laughs> around. And all of a sudden, now you have to deal with that. you got to find those people pick them up and take them back to the time rift and send them back to their home time. Or guess what happens? Boom, paradox, bad stuff. So you're, it's a cooperative game. Everybody's working together. You're wandering around, exploring this hexagonal map. And as you explore new tiles, you, you find trails and, and blocked passages. So you're sort of creating this maze as you, as you explore. And you're trying to find stuff. You're getting into encounters. There's a bunch of different decks of encounters that with herbivores and, and, um, and, uh, omnivores and, uh, just, just sort of events that happen, uh, like just, you know, seeing something amazing or getting attacked by a swarm of bees or whatever it is. So there's a lot of story happening. The game is really thematic and so cool. Like you don't ever know what's going to come pouring out of this. These time rifts that you inevitably open up, the game does an amazing job of incentivizing non-lethal play because if you kill something, that's bad, but you can actually use your gun to just shoot into the air and scare them away. It's all dice rolling. You're going up, you're checking against uh, other things. It has that exploding dice, which uh, Sean mentioned, and I love, I love that mechanic in games where if you roll a certain number, you get to roll again so you can keep potentially doing better and better. This game was a massive surprise to me. Escape from 10, excuse me, did I say 10? 100. Escape from 100 million BC. uh, And it's available from IDW Games. 
I I loved it. I was really really impressed. I also like it's one to six players. Yes, a good six player game is so important because my our board game group a lot of time six is it's just hard to find a good game for six people. Yeah, I totally agree. We only played it with three, so I don't know how it plays up to six, but I can imagine it being uh, really fun and. And there's different difficulty levels and there's a variety of characters to choose from. A lot of variety happening in the game. And just the theme is so strong. You really do feel like a time traveler dealing with this stuff. It's awesome. Okay, let's, uh, that's going to be it for this episode of DLC. Uh, We do have our parting gift coming up, so stick around for that. But Sean Andrich, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. It's always fun. Where can people keep up with you and your work on the Internet? Uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, at least for now, while Twitter still is a thing that exists. Uh, it's at uh, Certis, C-E-R-T-I-S. Uh, and you can also go to gamerswithjobs.com. Uh, we have our real play podcast we're doing. We're doing a uh, game, uh, one called Orbital Decay um, with uh, one of the writers uh, on the Destiny team uh, as our GM. And that's been a ton of fun. And of course, we have our weekly Gamers Jobs conference call podcast as well. Very, very cool. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on? Well, first, I want to say thanks to all the listeners that came out to shows when I was in London. It was awesome. It was so great meeting everybody. And to those of you who didn't say hi, and I know you were there, say hi next time. Um, but that was great. Really, really cool meeting people out there. And then other out of LA shows, Labor Day, I will be in Austin, part of the Out of Bounds Fest, doing a couple of spots, September 28th through September 30th. I will be at the La Jolla Comedy Store in San Diego. And then other stuff, uh, Department of Parenting podcast and also daily content on Anchor at anchor.fm slash DOP. You can find links to all of that at departmentofparenting.com. And then the other geeky little podcast I do at least 20 more minutes, you can find at patreon.com slash Christian Spicer. What about you, Jeff? Well, big news. I said it at the top. I'll repeat it here. Uh, if you've been wanting to listen to newest, latest, best, my daily video game update show, quick hits, just 10 minutes a day of the important news, games I've been playing, stuff on the horizon, really cool, just quick hits. Uh, and you've been waiting it for it to be a podcast instead of just being on the Anchor app. Now it is a podcast. You can subscribe to it on iTunes, on Google Play Music, whatever you use to listen to podcasts, whatever you're using to listen to this. You can find newest, latest, best. I hope you give it a shot. I think you'll like it. It's um, it's a lot of different stuff than we do here, and uh, and it'll keep you updated every single day, seven days a week. Also, I do the Slash Filmcast, uh, reviewing movies and, and TV shows. You can find that at SlashFilmcast.com. And We Have Concerns is the comedy science show I do. You can find that at WeHaveConcerns.com. All right, guys, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion. Sean, do you have a suggestion of something that might not be a video game that can help people get through their week? Um, well, I don't know if it'll help you get through your week or not. It is kind of video game related. It's actually a game peripheral. Um, some of my friends got me turned on to the, uh, it's called the NES 30 Pro Game Controller. And if you Google it, you'll see it looks like a, a classic Nintendo controller, except it has rounded edges and it has dual analogs on it, along with the four buttons and a, and a D-pad and stuff. But it looks like a Nintendo controller. So it's got it's got that nostalgia vibe. It's got uh, four triggers on the top. Uh, what's cool about it is that it supports tablets like Android, iPad tablets, but it also supports 
your PC, because it's Bluetooth-based, you can also use it for the Nintendo Switch. Huh. Um, so if you wanted to, and it's, and it's just a little bit smaller than say like the Nintendo pro controller. So it travels really well. The battery lasts forever on it. So it's really flexible. Um, it supports basically any game you want to throw at it and you can use it with your switch. So if you don't want to use the joy cons when you're in an airplane, uh, this would be a good uh, option to uh, go with instead. So if you buy that, I think it's like 40 bucks us, uh, give or take and a uh, really neat controller. It's the NES 30 pro game controller. Awesome. I really like it. Very cool. By eight bit. they make a bunch of great, I have a SNES replica controller that I Bluetooth for PC and switch and also my retron. They are incredible controllers. Yeah, they're really good. And, and they have an SNES version one coming with analog sticks built in soon. I think. Yes. Yeah. Christian, how about you? What's your parting gift? Man, I feel bad. I haven't mentioned this yet. It came out uh, last month. It's almost a month old. Tiamo, Tiamo, uh, Phoenix's new album, one month old album. Phoenix is a French band. People might know them. Uh, Listmania, I think it was kind of their blow up. What you say? What single? you say? No. Like that. Mm-hmm, right? like mm-hmm, that? Mm-hmm. This uh, man's new album's so good. It is. It's so good. I feel bad that I hadn't mentioned it for a month, but uh, go wherever you find it. Uh, they're so good. They're so good. They're so good. Yeah, check it out. Uh, I guess I got to recommend Baby Driver. If there's a chance that you don't know about this game or, or game, movie, movie, it's a movie in theaters. Uh, if you maybe heard the title and went, that sounds weird. I don't want to see. Is this a Baby Geniuses sequel? With I don't Why are they teaching babies to drive? It's not that. It's Edgar Wright's new uh, kinetic action film set to a rockin' soundtrack. It is something special. I recommend going out and seeing it on a big screen with the best audio you possibly can. I saw it in Dolby Atmos, and I was so glad I was seeing Me too. it. Wasn't it great in that in that kind of presentation? Oof. It was. I'd also recommend walking or taking the bus to go see it. Because <laughs> you don't want to drive home uh, at, right, at 90. No. Uh, I mean, you want to drive home, but you shouldn't. Yeah, you know, exactly. like that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, man, it is it is phenomenal. What a what a. I mean, I have some minor problems with it, and we reviewed it on the Slash Filmcast. If you want to listen to me talk about those minor problems, but uh, if there's a chance that this game, this I keep saying game, this movie is not on your radar, put it on your radar. Go see Baby Driver. It's uh, it's going to be one of the best times you have at the cinema all year. I promise. I think it's John Hamm's best performance ever. He's incredible. He's really good. I love Jamie Foxx is awesome in it too. Ah, so good. Um, Jamie Foxx forever. His best performance will be. Oh God, I'm blanking on the name. Michael Mann, Tom Cruise. Oh, uh, Collateral. Collateral. Yeah, so good. I mean, Ray Charles is pretty good. Anyway, um, and he won an Oscar for that. No one cares. All right, that's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Sean Andrich and Christian Spicer for hanging out. Thanks to all the folks in the chat that hung out in real time and made the show better. We really appreciate it. And uh, thanks to all of you that downloaded the show. Please tell your friends. Let them know that you like it. Maybe give us a five-star rating on your platform of choice. That helps too. Hey, be careful. Be safe this 4th of July week. If you're handling fireworks, please Protect your fingers and uh, enjoy eating your barbecue if you're in America. A belated Happy Canada Day to Canadians. We will be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.